Father, we do thank You tonight for the blessing, the privilege of being able to come here together and to worship You, Lord. Such a nice facility, Lord, that You've provided for us here, God. What a miracle, Lord, that we would be here at this, in this place and for this time. And Father, in this we rejoice, the good things that You've done and the, just the work that we've seen You raise up here in this place in Monrovia. We ask, God, that you would continue to keep our hearts open to those things that are on your heart. Tonight, specifically, God, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the youth in our community. Junior high, high school, that teenage, those teenage years, Lord, where the enemy seems to be waging such a spiritual warfare against the hearts, the lives, the minds, of the young people, Lord. It's as if he, can, if he can steal away the future generation, then he can ultimately undermine the future of the church. And Lord, just thinking about Calvary Chapel and how you birthed Calvary Chapel, even back in the 60s and 70s, Lord, it was a movement of young people. And God, our hearts need to be mindful of the next generation. And I just, I just ask God that you would give us vision, that you would give us uh, spiritual discernment, how to reach, how to speak to them, how to bring the gospel to bear in their lives, how to reach out. We pray for the youth represented just here in our church family, Lord. We know there are uh, dozens and dozens of teenage children just in our midst. God, we pray for them. We pray for their minds. We pray for their hearts, God. We pray that you would, you would awaken them spiritually by the ministry of your Holy Spirit. God, that you would begin to renew their mind and bring them out of the darkness and the culture in which they are bombarded. And Lord, that somehow a voice of truth, a light, a beacon of hope, God, that would in any way flow from this church and the life of this people. Lord, may you bring this to pass and may we be praying now. May we take this on as something of a prayer burden, Lord, from heaven, that we would begin to make requests and to knock on your door concerning these things. We want to see spiritual revival in our young people. We want to see a new generation raised up for Jesus Christ, those that would become the next leaders and carriers of the torch concerning the church of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to be mindful of that and help us to keep our hearts Uh, attentive there and our prayers consistent and lord finally i ask that you would now speak to us as we open the word together and that you would open our hearts and lord just minister to us and refresh us and strengthen us lord we ask these things in jesus name amen amen well let's open our bibles to second peter ah gotcha you thought i was going to say numbers It's just the intro. We are coming to numbers, but we are we're going to start in 2nd Peter. I I I believe that there is a real spiritual danger for us as Christians living in this time and day that we live. It is a danger of kind of becoming desensitized to, to sin. As the world and our culture kind of digresses and kind of begins to slide morally and spiritually. And I think if you're honest and, and you know, 
not even really having to pay real close attention, you would say, wow, we can definitely see that things are changing and and the culture seems to be moving more towards darkness, immorality. I mean, we see it in evidenced all in in our society. We see things that, you know, just, just 20 years ago, we would have never seen. 20 years ago, there are things that are, you know, that, that, that just would not have been open and outward as they are today. I mean, certainly the, the open and accepted normalcy of the homosexual lifestyle. We see the abortion kind of just becoming a means of contraception for women and and their right to choose. Pornography has become very prolific. Sexual behavior outside of marriage has become something of the norm. Violence, you know what we see regularly on the news. I mean, if we were to quote statistics, they would be alarming. I'm not going to do that tonight. But even think of the entertainment industry. Think of how things have changed just on TV shows. I, I'm amazed at what now is on just, you know, uh, broadcast television. It, it just stuns me. I can't believe that, that some of the things are now just becoming normal. Movies, right? We go to see a good movie or we try to and we come out feeling like, you know, that was a, it was a good movie and it was pretty clean too, right? I mean, that's a good, that's a good experience at the movies. Pretty clean. But uh, again, we're just seeing things that, have, that are happening at such a rapid pace. And I think that we, are, we have a danger here as a, as a church, as God's people, that we can slowly and gradually, and not even to our notice, become somewhat desensitized because the culture becomes darker and darker and we just kind of gradually accommodate the culture into our lifestyles, into our homes, into the way that we live our own, our own spiritual life. And I want to challenge you tonight because God's standards for holiness have not changed. God's standard and calling for His church and His people does not change with the culture. God's standards are pure. His testimonies are sure. They are immovable. And He calls us to be salt and light. And you know the warning Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, then what good is it but to be trampled underfoot by men? So I want to challenge, I'm wanting to challenge my own heart, and I'm wanting us to just be reminded tonight of how God has called us to live, but also to be spiritually awake to to the things that are going on around us, and to be praying, and to be... You know, mindful of the times in which we live. You're in Second Peter, I'll, I'll join you there in a moment, but Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy 3, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, where men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Boy, it's almost as if Paul read the headlines, didn't he? Kind of almost as if the Holy Spirit gave him a view into, you know, some of our news broadcasts and said, wow, this is what's coming because we see all of these things going on. You're in Second Peter. I want you to be in, join me in chapter 2 for starters. 
Peter trying to stir up the heart of the church, the, the church in his time. Second Peter 2, and, and look with me in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment... And he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those afterward who would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. We have all of history biblically to consider that God knows how both to deliver the godly out of temptations... It's no, it's no good to try and say, well, what could we do? The culture went bad. I just ended up getting caught. God is faithful. He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. But He also knows how to reserve judgment for those that will continue to rebel and sin against Him. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. Beloved, verse 1. I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Peter wanted to stir up their minds. I hope that our minds might be stirred tonight, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. True enough, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water." But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Peter, wanting to stir up your pure mind by way of reminder, reminding you that Jesus is soon coming. And when He comes, He brings judgment upon the earth. And that there is, you know, something of a a longing in our hearts that should be kept alive, looking for that day. Not become kind of just... um, lackadaisical, I guess, is the word. Not becoming just kind of, well, where's the promise of His coming? He hasn't come. He may, you know, He may, yeah, we know He's coming, but, you know, don't forget that uh, the Lord is, the only reason He is delaying, the only reason He delays is because of His mercy so that people can come to faith in Christ. That's the only reason Jesus hasn't come. And the only reason He doesn't come tonight isn't so you and I can you know, accomplish those plans and dreams and things that we have. Oh, God wants to give you a chance to live the American dream, you know. Nothing wrong with living and enjoying the, the blessings of God in your life. I don't mean to condemn that, but I, I, I want to wake up something in our hearts. But that's not the priority. That's not why Jesus tarries. Jesus tarries because of His mercy. Because He's waiting for that last soul to come to faith before the day comes. And it will come like a thief in the night. Anybody know when the thief in the night comes? That's the whole point, isn't it? He comes when you don't expect Him. If you knew He was coming tonight, you'd be on guard for Him. He comes when you don't expect. He could come tonight. The Lord could return tonight. But clearly, He's coming And we need to be mindful of these things and have our hearts stirred up even tonight as we think about the time in which we live, that we would not become desensitized, that we would not lose our spiritual fervor and sense of spiritual um, discernment. Okay, turn with me now to Numbers chapter 31. Now you can get excited. Okay, got all that prophetic word out of the way. I want to put that in your heart because I think it it will you'll see some of it here tonight even as we go through numbers 31. We're going to see something of God's severity in judgment but also the goodness of God. Remember Paul said to the Romans, behold the the goodness and the severity of God. God and his judgment, God and his wrath against sin is severe. It's fierce. But God and His goodness and His desire to rescue and to give grace and mercy, it is uh, is abundant and wanting to save. In Numbers 31, as you know, the children of Israel are there in the wilderness and Moses is coming to the end of his earthly ministry. And they are there near the border of the promised land. In fact, we're going to see that in future chapters, some of the tribes are actually going to settle on this side of the Jordan. They haven't crossed over yet, but they're, they're in the general area where God is getting ready to plant them now. And uh, God is now going to instruct the nation to take vengeance on the Midianites. Remember the story of Balaam. And uh, the donkey, right? You know that story. And remember Balaam came and tried to curse the people of God. He was unable to curse them, but we know that he then gave the Midianites this scheme of seducing the nation of Israel, causing them to fall into sin. And God sent a plague. This is while they're there in the wilderness. 
and Phinehas. Remember Phinehas? He stopped the plague. You remember how he did it? There was this couple that just right in front of the congregation went into the tent to commit fornication. Just kind of this bold in your face, we'll do what we want. And Phinehas, consumed by the zeal of the Lord, went in and speared them both through, right? The shish kebab, true judgment, that's what it's called. But that stopped the plague. Well, now the Lord is going to instruct Moses to deal with the Midianites and and this nation that is there uh, near the promised land. And we'll pick that up. Look with me now, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. Speaking to Moses. Moses is coming now to the end. This is going to be one of the last things the Lord gives Moses to instruct. Afterwards, he's going to be taken to be with the Lord. Verse 3. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. And so... There were recruited from the divisions of Israel 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phinehas, remember him, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. The holy articles, it may have been the Ark of the Covenant marching out before the army. Verse 7, And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the king of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And look here, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. So they go out to battle. Phineas gets to lead the battle. You know, he again, he was the one that stopped the plague. Now he's being entrusted with leading this battle and leading the, this, these 12,000 out into war. And we see there in verse 8 that Balaam, Balaam never did go back to his own place. He hung out with the Midianites. He must have gotten a pretty nice commission for his work in helping undermine the children of Israel. You may remember when Balaam was prophesying, one of the things that he said was, Oh, that I might die a death of the righteous. That was something he longed for in his heart. But we see here, he did not die the death of the righteous. He died the death of those under judgment. His end came there at this battle in Midian. We go on here and picking it up here in verse 12, we'll see this cleansing of the land. Verse 12, it says, Then they brought the captives, the booty, and the spoil to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. So they're coming back from war. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, 
with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, and every, uh, every wo- everything wo- woven of goats, hair, and everything made of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean. And it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot, all that cannot endure fire you shall put through water. And you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. And afterward, you may come into the camp. So they come back from war. They've spared the women and some of the young children. And Moses is upset and has them put them to death. We see here something of a cleansing of the land that God is doing. We notice also just the purification Uh, After the war, stay outside the camp, go through this purification ritual. God is looking to teach the nation very clearly that you you must remain separate from this people and their customs and their culture and everything that they are doing in this land. You cannot commingle with these people. And even the whole purification process after war, you'll stay out here for days. Every article that you've brought, everything must go through fire and water. God very clearly reinforcing the idea of a separation. You are, you are not to... Comb, no, don't bring home any of their articles of idols or anything else. There must be a purification. God very clearly wanting to keep His people separate from the people in the land. And we see here even the extermination of the women and some of the children. Judgment was on the sinful women, those that had seduced Israel. Moses said, look, you're bringing the very, the very women that actually caused a plague and caused a compromise in the heart of the nation. You're bringing them now back into the camp. What do you think they're going to do when you, when you bring them back into the camp? They're going to start with the same routine of compromise and getting you to entangle in their worship of false gods. So there comes this judgment. Uh, the women seduced and the women caused Israel to sin. And the Lord's judgment on sin is also on those that would entice God's people to sin. You remember Jesus, he said this to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea 
than that he should offend one of these little ones. God takes very seriously our causing others to fall in their walk with the Lord, causing others to sin, enticing, encouraging, inviting others to compromise. Jesus speaks very strongly about it. And we see here Moses comes out and says, put these women to death. These are the very women that caused and enticed you. But not only the women, all of the male children would also be put to death. This really was something of the beginning of how God would be instructing the nation as they came into the promised land. There would be an extermination of these cultures and these people. They were not to leave any survivors. We'll see this as we get into the future in Joshua when they go into the land. And this is hard for us. These are difficult things to even read. It's like, you know, it, it kind of, wow, that strikes us as being out of character for the loving and merciful God. But it's not out of character. This is God's who is loving and merciful, who is morally perfect and pure and just. But He is executing a judgment here that is right and true. And this would become God's instruction for the cleansing of this land. God's instruction was to exterminate the people of the land, including the women and children. We'll see this, as, we, as I said, as they go into the promised land. In the case of the Moabites, actually the Lord is, is bringing some mercy to bear. He's allowing them to keep the, mer- the virgin and female children alive. But I want to talk a little bit about this idea of God's judgment and cleansing of this land. It's difficult for us, hard for us to understand this kind of fierceness of God's wrath coming against the people and then instructing His nation to actually carry out the judgment. But we have to understand the depravity of the people and the extent of their sinfulness. You have to recognize that this land of Canaan, the Midianites included, had so corrupted themselves in lifestyle, in, in their manner of living, that they had become beyond help. They had gone past opportunity to repent and actually uh, be restored. It is possible that, that people can become so depraved uh, with, in, and the extent of their sinfulness leaves them with nothing but the fearful expectation of judgment. God would use Israel to bring judgment upon a hopelessly corrupt people. Their manner of living had descended to extreme vileness and corruption. Their sexual practices were immoral and corrupt, including incest, homosexuality, bestiality. Their pagan worship practices included temple prostitution and child offering children as living sacrifices. Their extermination was an act of judgment for their sin, but it was also an act of insulating the nation, the people of Israel from being defiled in the influence of these people that existed in the land. I want you to turn with me, hold your place in numbers, we'll be back, but turn to Leviticus. We've looked at this, we've already come through Leviticus. Look to chapter 18. You begin to see the heart of God coming now to judge a land that has become defiled. It included the children, preventing any future influence or future revenge upon the nation. 
might also be considered an act of mercy and that these children would have lived, been forced to live under the hardship as orphans. God is looking to cleanse the land. Leviticus chapter 18, and pick it up with me, verse 19. Leviticus 18 and verse 19, And you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. That was the way they offered their children. They burned them alive. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. Look, for by all these the nations are defiled which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled." lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. He goes on to finish his thought there, but you get the idea. You can turn back to Numbers. God is bringing this nation of Israel. It's not just bringing them to a promised land and a blessing for them. He is also executing a fierce judgment on the people that have defiled the land. And they they have been living in this kind of debauchery. It has grown worse and worse and worse. And it comes to a place where their sins, the measure of their sins are full. And God now sends the nation of Israel to execute judgment upon them. You remember the flood. The flood in Noah's time, this was also an act of judgment and preservation of not just Noah and his family, but preservation of the humankind, of the human race. God had to destroy because of the corruption. It says in Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And listen, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The entire... Human population had just become debased and had become defiled in their thought and were living like animals. And God regretted that He had created man and He sent the flood to start over with Noah and his family. He found but one family that still had a mind toward God. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah when the city became hopelessly corrupt. It says in the account in Genesis, But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. Remember, He came and told Abraham what He was getting to do. 
getting ready to do, I'm going to have to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's why. The, the cry of their sin rises up. And Abraham began to intercede because he had his relative there living in Sodom. He said, yeah, but you surely you won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And God said, no, I won't. And he, remember, he went through the countdown and got down all the way to ten. Lord, would you destroy this city if there were just even ten righteous? And the Lord said, no. If there are, if there are ten righteous in the city, I will not destroy the city. As it turns out, there were not even ten. There was just Lot and his family. And he sent angels to rescue them out. And then the judgment came. God has to deal with uh, peoples and nations that become severely depraved, lest lest they continue to corrupt and steal away opportunity for relationship with God in future generations. And God warned, as we read there in Leviticus, God warned even His own people, listen guys, I'm, I'm kicking this, these people out and using you as the evic- eviction uh, hand. But be careful. Don't you go into those practices. Don't you slide into that cultural kind of uh, lifestyle lest the land vomit you out. And what do we know about the history of Israel? We know that ultimately they did fall into these practices, didn't they? And God sent His prophets warning, repent, turn back to the Lord. Put away these, this false worship. Put away this, these, this false practice. They sinned even to the point of offering their children through the sacrifice of the fire. And God sent prophet after prophet, both in the northern and the southern kingdom. And the nation of Assyria came and judged Israel in the north. And the nation of Babylon came and judged Israel in the south. Even His own chosen people, when their, when their sins became so corrupt and they completely turned away from God, God came and brought judgment against them. And this is what now is happening in Numbers. God is using this nation of Israel to actually come and bring the judgment upon a people uh, that have actually gone past opportunity. Some considerations. First of all, this is God's moral instruction. This is not an act of man. This is not some holy war that Moses cooked up with with his group. This is God bringing a moral judgment. It would be limited, limited to this campaign of cleansing and the taking of the promised land. It would be for a limited place. It would be for a limited time in Israel's history. This would not become the normal uh, you know, manner of war for the nation. This was a specific judgment, a specific task that God had assigned to them to bring about uh, cleansing of the land. It would be for the pur- purpose, truly, of preservation. Preserving His people. Preserving the lineage of Manasseh uh, uh, for the Messiah, excuse me. And even in judgment, we see that God is ultimately working towards mercy and saving. You see, God had to secure a people for which the Messiah would come. He had to reserve a people in relationship with Him, covenant people, that would ultimately be able to bring the truth, uh, uh, to uh, bring the Messiah. And of course, Jesus came through this nation. And I believe that even when God is judging, He is working towards mercy and saving. Not only that, if 
you remember when God originally spoke to Abraham, he said, he showed him the land, and he said, but you're not going to inherit it. It's going to be future generations because the iniquity of the people in the land is not yet complete. God was very merciful to this people living in the land. It would be generations, hundreds of years later, before judgment would come. That gives you an idea of the mercy of God. God said to Abraham, look, they're, they're living in sin, but I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be long-suffering. I'm not ready to have to kick them out of the land and give it to you because there's still opportunity. There's still some that have opportunity to live and not fall into the into this type of sin and lifestyle. And reminds me of Peter. Why does the Lord tarry? Because there's still opportunity for some to come to faith. There's still opportunity for the gospel to make a saving difference in the lives that God doesn't want anyone to perish. And even with this, these people of Canaan, the Midianites, God was very patient and very merciful. He delayed His judgment for generations upon generation until finally He sent His people to cleanse the land. We move on back to Numbers verse 25 through 47. I'm just going to summarize. We're not going to uh, read that long section. But basically, this talks about how they divided up the spoil. Uh, They came back with all kinds of goods. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of animals, sheep, goats, donkeys. I mean, after they conquered the the Midianites, these 12,000 men, they came back just with a loot. And uh, what it tells us here in these verses, verses 25 through 47, how they divided up those resources. Some was given as tribute to the Lord. Obviously, those who went out and fought the battle, they received the, uh, a good portion. But then also, even those that remained in the camp were also blessed. So God allowed them to distribute these, uh, these spoils of war throughout the nation. And now that's what's happening, verses 25 through 47. Pick it up with me now in verse 48, and we'll finish out the chapter. Then the officers, who were over thousands of the army, I'm in Numbers 31, picking up again in verse 48. Then the officers who were over thousands of the army, the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, came near to Moses. And they said to Moses, Your servants have taken account of the men of war, who are under our command, and not a man of us is missing. Therefore we have brought an offering for the Lord. What every man found, ornaments of gold, armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. And so Moses and Eleazar, the priests, received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments, And all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. The men of war had taken spoil, every man for himself. And Moses and Eleazar the priest received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. So they divvy up the spoil, all the animals, all of the goods. And then they took account. Some of the uh, army leaders and commanders you know, took a little inventory of their men and they realized they'd fought this war, they'd won this big victory, and not one man was lost. 
Of all 12,000, not one was lost. It was a complete supernatural battle of the Lord. And they recognized that. They, were, they realized, we're, we're not that good. <laughs> we, God has given us this victory. And it so stirred their hearts that they brought all of the, the, the things that had come to them personally as individuals, at least within the, some, the gold and some of the uh, ornaments, and they said, we want to give this to the Lord. We know that this is His victory. We know that He spared us. We know that He watched over us, and we want to offer it as an atonement, almost as if to say, we're not worthy of this. We know that we should have lost men in that battle. We know that God was gracious to us. We know that God was extending mercy. And we simply want to give back to Him who has saved us and, and secured us uh, and, and offer this as a way of not only saying thank you, a free will offering, this was not required, The tribute for the temple had already been collected. This was out of their heart because of God's goodness and wanting to atone, knowing that it was the grace of God. You know, I think there's certainly application there for our hearts. Part of what I wanted to to sow into your heart tonight, the reason I took the time to kind of introduce some of those passages out of Peter, was just to remind us of how gracious and good God has been to us. You know, God has not changed His feelings about sin. God has not lowered His standards concerning what He desires from His people or what He wants and commands of men. And the only hope that any of us have is the grace of God. We've all fallen short. We're all guilty. We're all worthy of God's judgment. But Christ has bore the punishment for our sin. Now think about the cross. Was the cross a a kind of a, a real clean and easy death for Jesus? It was violent. And we're coming up into Easter. Of course, we'll be looking at the passion of Christ. But you, you, you begin to see the, the, the fierceness of God's wrath against sin, even meted out upon Jesus Christ. It wasn't some, you know, lethal injection, right? It wasn't some mercy killing. It was a brutal and violent death that he suffered because the full wrath of God was put upon him because he was bearing the sins of the world. You see the fierceness of God's judgment upon a people that have, that have rejected and refused to repent. And you imagine the fierceness of God's wrath that was bore upon Jesus. Now you know why He wept in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now you know why He sweat drops of blood thinking about what He would be facing at the cross. And I wanted you to kind of just remember and appreciate what God has done for you. And by the grace of God, because of the mercy of Jesus Christ, not one of us is lost. Not one of us need need die. Not one of us need be lost in battle. We have victory. We have the assurance of salvation. We have so great a salvation, such a wonderful Savior. And in that, as as these men realize, wow, 
the grace of God has been good to us. How much more should that you know, reckon in our hearts? How much more should that register in our hearts and produce a response? As they, they came and they said, we just want to give back to the Lord. And how much we, desire, we should desire to respond to Him. A free will offering. Not something that's man, you know, mandatory, but just the desire of your heart to worship, to live for Him. To give Him of your resource, to give your life to Him who has bought you and purchased you and saved you. We'll close with Hebrews 13. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. The writer of Hebrews, he says, you know, we've been given so much in Christ, let us not hold back our offering. The fruit of our lips, giving praise, sharing with one another, doing good, sowing into the work of ministry. God, we belong to You. All that we have, all that we are is Yours. You bought us, Lord. We could have died on the battlefield. These men knew and and they realized not one of us was lost. And we know, you know, you know what would have become of you had it not been for the grace and the mercy of God. You would have died in battle. You'd have died the judgment against your own sin and you'd have been deserving of it. You would have earned it. But God, but God, because of His grace and His mercy. Now, what should our response be? Let's pray. Father, we, we are thankful tonight for those of us that have put our trust in Jesus Christ. Not one of us is lost. The battle wages on all around us. The sins of the world continue to mount up, Lord, in our generation, in our culture, in our time. But Lord, You know how to preserve the righteous. You know how to save. Not one of us need be lost tonight. And Father, for this wonderful work of grace in Christ, I want to say thank You. And I want the fruit of my lips to give You praise. Lord, I don't want... I don't, want, I don't want to be stingy in my praise and in my thanks. Help my heart, Lord. Help me to be liberal in my praise and in my worship. And Lord, in, in, in my giving and in my living, Lord, as I live for You and devote my heart and life and family and work and all that I am. You are my life and my very being tonight. I would have been lost for sure. I would have been a victim of the war, but by the grace of God. So stir our hearts tonight, Lord. Let us not be diluted by the time in which we live. As Peter said, Lord, remind our pure hearts, that pure, that separate, that called out heart. Remind us of who and how You've called us and how we ought to live our lives for You now. 
And Lord, let us be worshipers. Let us be hearts that would respond in every way. Now as our heads are bowed here and you're staying with me just one more moment in prayer, I do want to give an opportunity. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to the Lord, I want to pray for you. It may be that you are here tonight and you do not have this relationship with Jesus Christ. You are still in your sins. You have no covering. You have no forgiveness because it's only found in Christ. If you're here tonight and you don't want to be lost, you don't want to be judged for your sin, you know that you need a Savior, I'd love to pray for you and invite Jesus into your life. He'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. Or maybe you need to rededicate your life to Him. Maybe you've drifted from Him and you find yourself distant tonight. And God is calling your heart back to Him. And you want to come and, and make an offering. An offering of your heart being given back to the Lord. Lord, I'm Yours. I belong to You. I want to come home and give myself back to You completely. I'd love to pray for You as well. So if you're here tonight and you need Jesus, or you need to come back to Jesus, raise your hand. Let me see you. We'll pray for you. God bless you both. A couple there in the center. Anyone else? Lord, speak into your heart. He loves you. Oh, that there would be none lost here tonight. If you don't know the Lord, He's speaking to you. Open your heart. Let me pray with you. Anybody else tonight before I pray? Father, I do thank you for this couple that has responded, Lord. And Lord, I, I, I love it when hands go up immediately. Lord, I, I know you'll, you'll receive any that come. But there's something about a heart that, that just is quick to respond and says, that's me. I need the Lord. God, I pray that you would meet them tonight, that you would minister to them completely, that you would forgive them of their sins because of what you have bore for them at the cross, that they would put their trust and confidence completely in you. And Lord, that you would not only cleanse them, not only forgive them, but also fill them with Your Spirit that they might begin to live in close fellowship and relationship with You. May this truly be a new beginning for them together and individually with You. Meet them, God. Thank You for speaking to their hearts tonight. Thank You for stirring all our hearts tonight, Lord. We love You. We belong to You. Continue, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.